0: James chapter 5 is where we're at tonight. One verse, and one verse only. What does it have to do with the length of the message? Somebody help me. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, uh, again, uh, just because said one verse tonight doesn't mean it has anything to do with the length of the message, uh, but uh, we will uh, cruise through this tonight. Again, as we go down through the, the book of James, we're wrapping this up. We've entitled Practical Christianity, this series, because the book of James was written to really baby early Christians. So just to rewind and give you a little bit of church history, uh, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost after Christ ascends into heaven. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people saved, baptized, added to the church in one day. The church gets added to by the thousands. Then persecution comes to the church at Jerusalem, which is this church of 10, 20, 30, possibly 30,000 people. And all these Christians that were there in Jerusalem split. And they find different places where they can set up shop. And they're just kind of doing what they... Learned in Jerusalem. They didn't really know a lot, but what they they learned, they're continuing to do. And so James chapter 1, James writes to the Christians of the 12 tribes, Jews, that are now scattered. And he says to them, hey guys, here's how Christians act. I, I know this is new to you. You haven't been instructed this way before, but here's how Christians behave themselves. And so James is very light on doctrinal truth. Uh, James is very light on anything that we would say would be groundbreaking theology. But James is ridiculously rich with here's how Christians live. And so that's what we'll be taking a look at tonight. Uh, I've entitled tonight's message, Being a Person of Integrity. If you have the Who We Call app, you can pull up uh, tonight's message on the the notes uh, portion of the app uh, if you want. Uh, If not, grab a sheet of paper and jot some thoughts down as we go through this passage of Scripture. James chapter 5, verse number 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Now, James tells us all the way through the book of James. Keep your Bible open, because we're going to take a look at some passages of Scripture of things that James has already told us. But James tells us this about the way a Christian lives. A Christian's speech should be different. The, the day that you accepted Christ as Savior crazy things begin to happen in your life and you begin to be born again into a new creature in Christ. The Bible tells us old things are passed away, all things are become new. And one of the things that you get a new of when you're born again is you get a new heart. God creates inside of you a heart to know him, to love him, to worship Him. He gives you desires that you didn't have before. The Holy Spirit of God is now inside of you. A gift that you got the day you were born again was the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now you understand things differently than you did before. The things that come out of your life are no longer awful, terrible, hateful, ugly things. Now the Holy Spirit has the capability to bring out of you love, joy, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to bring out of you now because you're different now. You're now a child of God. You're no longer a child of wrath. You're no longer a child of disobedience. You're no longer of your father, the devil. You're now a child of God, and guess what? You get to be changed from the inside out. So if God gives us a new heart, stay with me for just a second, Okay? If God gives us a new heart, and the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, okay? Then we can draw the conclusion that now that I have a new heart, my speech now is going to be different. Got to be. It's interesting as you look through the the, the Bible, especially the New Testament. Evidence of someone's salvation 100% of the time is not that they prayed a prayer, It's not that they went to church. It's not that they walked forward and knelt at an altar. Not that they cried. Not that they had a religious experience. 100% in the New Testament. Always. Every single time. Evidence of salvation is shown in a changed life. All the time. Now again... I don't know for sure if you're saved. I don't know for sure if you've been born again. If you tell me that you have and you explain to me the gospel, then I'm going to take you at your word and assume that you've been saved or born again. But let me just tell you this. There should be change in your life. You can't be saved and then stay the same. Now, will we struggle with sin till the day that we die? But again, struggling indicates a struggle, that there's actually a fight going on. When you have laid down in your sin and you're making sin angels in your sin and enjoying it. I just made that up. That was really catchy, wasn't it? Super catchy. And you're just enjoying your sin. I don't know that there's a lot of struggle taking place there. So again, when someone prays a prayer, yet nothing in their life changes, yet they continue with a love not for the things of God, but a love for their sin, I gotta kind of scratch my head and say, I don't know whether or not this person is saved because they don't show evidence of it. Now, again, I'm not the judge whether or not somebody's saved or not. I couldn't tell. The only person who knows is that person in God. But Jesus says this You'll know a tree by its fruit. And here's what Jesus also said Does a good tree bring forth bad fruit? And does a bad tree bring forth good fruit. So again, we want to be aware. <laughs> this, is where, this is where the rubber meets the road, okay? We hear verses like that, and it's like, yeah, that's right. I'm going to start checking on everybody's fruit. I'm going to start looking. I'm going to become a, like a professional fruit inspector, right? No, 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 no. You're supposed to examine your own fruit, I'm supposed to be looking at my life and say, hey, if I'm legitimately a born-again child of God, is there good fruit coming out of my life? And if not, the question is, why? What's wrong? Because a good tree that's planted in Christ doesn't bring forth bad fruit. So something's not right somewhere. So if I have a new heart, my speech is gonna be different. So... James tells us, again, challenges us here, four different areas about our our speech. First of all, restrain your tongue. Take a look at James chapter 1, verse number 26. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his own tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Hey, Christian, if you don't watch your mouth and bridle your tongue and hold back some stuff, the Bible says that your religion is worthless. Sometimes you'll hear people say th- things like, well, I just kind of say whatever's on my mind. Like, I, that, that filter between your mind and, your, and your, your tongue, mine's broken. I ain't got none. I ain't got no filter. I just say whatever's on my mind. Friend, I want to stop somebody every time they say that because it's almost like a badge of honor for them, right? Like, what you see is what you get. I just tell it like it is. Please don't say that because you're just confessing the fact that you are a fool. You say, well, that's really harsh to say, Pastor. I didn't say it. The Bible did. A fool uttereth all his mind. So, again, if you feel the need to say everything that comes in your brain, the Bible says you're a fool. And James tells you just like we put a bit in a horse's mouth to pull him back you need to stick a bit in your own mouth and dial it back a notch. And so you don't here's the thing you don't have to say everything that comes through your brain you you just don't. And so restrain your tongue. James also challenges it to speak like those who have been set free. James chapter 2, verse number 12. So speak ye, and, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Hey, you've been set free from a lifestyle of sin. Romans tells us, again, the, the, the readers of James' letter here didn't have the luxury of going to Romans chapter 6 and seeing that they had been set free from sin, and sin hath no more dominion over them. They just know what James says. That James says, hey, if you've been set free, talk like it. Christians shouldn't use foul language. Christians shouldn't tell dirty jokes or even laugh at dirty jokes. Christians shouldn't be entertained by that which God calls reprehensible. Why? Because you've been set free from that. You don't act like that anymore. Now, I grew up in public school, rode the the school bus to, to, to school my whole life. And trust me, by second grade, I knew all the cuss words and how to use them. I grew up in a public school. I grew up in a very carnal youth group in the church that I was in, where everybody used foul language, including uh, leaders in our church. And so, I wasn't didn't think twice about using foul language. Joined the military, joined the Navy right out of high school. Let me just tell you, they earned that that phrase "cuss like a sailor." Like we earned that, right? Like I didn't even know you could use these words in conjunction with other words to mean stuff like that. Like I'm I'm blown away. I went to boot camp and I learned a whole new vocabulary that got reopened to me, right? And then it just became, here's the word for you, natural, right? It's just natural. And so sometimes we as Christians use that as a crutch. Well, this is just natural. There's a man that, uh, a couple that my wife and I were discipling uh, in California, a man probably at this point 15 years plus ago, and um, he grew up in, in Los Angeles, Had been part of a gang and stuff like that. He was uh, Hispanic and been involved in Hispanic gang activity and stuff like that, and uh, they got saved, they got born again, uh, and they said, we want to grow as Christians, so we began to sit down and go through them with what it means to be a committed follower of Christ, uh, just one-on-one for, for a week, and back then we didn't do 14 months, we did like, or 14 weeks, we did like 18 months, it was long, and so we're like two weeks in, and we sit down, and this dude's just talking about his day at work, and he let the F word fly, and I said, I, 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 I'm going to stop you right there, we don't talk like that. He said, well, you don't understand, man. Like You don't understand my background. You don't understand where I come from. This is just who we are. This is just how we talk. And I said, step one of following Jesus. Where you have come from and who you were does not matter any longer. Who you are in Christ now is everything. Amen. And he was like, well, I don't know how to change. Good. I'm going to help you change. But that type of talk is gone. It leaves your vocabulary starting today. Well, this is going to be really hard. This will not be the last time Jesus asks you to do something hard. Guaranteed. But what I wanted to tell him is it doesn't matter what's natural for you because natural in the Bible is another synonym for the word carnal. It doesn't matter what your sinful man wants to do. It matters what the redeemed man should do. Next, James tells us, James chapter 3, verse number 2. Control your mouth because it directs your life. James chapter 3, verse number 2. For, a man of, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body. We put bits in horses' mouths, they may obey us. We turn about their whole body. Build also ships, which though they be great, are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, with this over the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things, but beholdeth, behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Hey, again, we put bits in horses' mouths, we put rudders on ships, and your tongue, if you don't control it, will set fire to every single thing that you hold dear. And it's interesting that, that James here uses the term fire. You know what gets burned in a fire? always the things that are closest to the flame. Always. Like, if we, if we set fire to this building, it's not going to have any effect on a building that's 10 miles away. It's going to burn this building to the ground. And it's going to burn everyone close to this building. And our tongue is like a fire. And you know who our tongue, when we don't control it, hurts the worst? The people closest to us. Things you would never dream of uttering to another Brother, sister in Christ in this church, you wouldn't think twice about staying in your home. Well, I was just upset. Well, I lost my cool. Well, I, I told them twelve times not to do that. Mm-mm-mm. Nope. You need to control your tongue. Well, that's hard for me. Good. Like I told the, uh, my friend that I disciple, it won't be the last hard thing Jesus asks you to do. But you have to control your mouth because it directs your life. Our words have the ability to heal or the opportunity to destroy. Next, James tells us in James chapter 4, verse number 11, beware of gossip and slander. James chapter 4, verse number 11, Speak not evil one of another, brethren, he that speaketh evil of his brother, and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Again, we don't talk about other people's business. It's none of our business. We don't insert ourselves where we don't need to be inserted. We don't say things about people. The word slander means to say something about somebody that's not even true. If you've ever been on the receiving end of gossip and slander, it's hurtful, it's painful, it's damaging. That's why zero-tolerance policy amongst God's people for this. Well, my workplace is toxic. Your workplace doesn't fall under the authority of Christ if they're not Christians. The church does. And those types of things shouldn't Christians even in the workplace should excuse themselves from. Not getting involved in this. None of my business. Now, we get to James chapter 5, verse number 12 here today, and and James talks about another thing we do with our tongue. Verse number 12, James chapter 5, verse 12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven nor by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Now, again, you might have gone to court and witnessed uh, someone swearing in in court. Uh, You might have been sworn in when you went to, to MEPS in the military like I did. And they ask you if you swear or, what's the word, affirm, swear or affirm. Why? Because of this verse here. Many Christians say, I'm not going to take an oath, I'm not going to swear anything because the Bible says that I shouldn't swear. Okay, can you affirm, can you agree with in this case? But it's interesting that as you read through the Bible, some people think that this is just an absolute blanket statement that you shouldn't ever swear an oath. You shouldn't ever agree to anything by using the word swearing. Uh, but the Bible tells us that there's actually situations for swearing oaths. Believe it or not. If you look through, through Scripture um, and again, if you have the notes on your on your app, if you don't, I'll, I'm going to give you these references. You can check out later. Second Samuel chapter 21 verse 7, Second Samuel chapter 3 verse number 35. David swore oaths to Jonathan, to Saul, to Shimei, and before God himself. Jonathan had a son who was lame, couldn't walk. His name was Mephibosheth and David swore an oath to Jonathan and saying, "Hey, as long as I live, I promise you your boy will be taken care of." And when Jonathan died, David took care of Mephibosheth and allowed him to eat from the king's table, even though he wasn't part of the king's family because David had made a commitment to him, had made an oath, and he swore an oath and he kept it. The children of Israel swore an oath to God under Joshua's leadership, Joshua chapter 6 verse number 26. Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth the city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and his youngest son shall he put up in the gates of it. So the children of Israel made an oath before God to take the city of Jericho, which God had promised to him. Acts chapter 18, verse number 18, Paul made a vow before God. Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took leave of the brethren and sailed thence unto Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Chentria, for he had a vow. Paul made a vow before God. And you know what he did? He shaved his head. And if you guys want to take a vow like that, I'd totally love to watch. <laughs> if you already shave your head, that's no fun. But um, but here's what Paul says: I'm making a commitment before God, and I shaved my head. We also see that, uh, again, not in your notes here, but as I think about shaving your head for a vow, you think of the Nazarite vow that Samson's parents had taken for him. That there wouldn't be a razor that come up on his head that he was, was separated, committed unto God. He wouldn't touch an unclean thing. He wouldn't t- touch alcohol. He would keep himself for God and God alone. And we see that Samson broke those vows again and again and again and again, but his parents had made a vow before God. They, his parents had sworn an oath before God, if you will, and so again, we see uh, maybe it m- might appear on the surface here a little bit of a disconnect. of Hey, James is saying don't swear, but you got all these other people in the Bible that are swearing as well, unless we think that swearing's a sin. Numbers chapter 14, verse number 21, God swore oaths. God says, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled up with the glory of the Lord. Romans chapter 14, verse number 11. For as is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So, uh, again, as it is written or I make a commitment to is God's version of, of swearing an oath. So, again, when we look at this, is it wrong then for Christians to swear oaths? Because it seems to be a little bit of a disconnect between what James is saying hey, don't swear. But then you find all these other people in the Bible who actually swore, God himself. So if God is doing it, it obviously can't be a sin. So what, are, what is our takeaway from this? Well, first of all, understand all holy and consecrated swearing, oath-taking, or vow-making should be done in the name of the Lord. The Bible tells us that we shouldn't swear by anything that we have because we don't have anything. You can't swear by the hair of your head because you don't have the power to, to make it one color or another. And so, if we make a commitment before God, we make that commitment in the name of the Lord. Now, why is that significant? Well, it's significant because one of the Ten Commandments is to not take the Lord's name in vain. So, if I say, for example, I can't wait until church is over, I swear to and use God's name, I'm going to order a Domino's pizza. I now have sworn something that didn't, first of all, didn't need to be sworn. And secondly, I've used God's name in such a way that it is useless. And you say, well, is that taking God's name in vain? That's absolutely taking God's name in vain. Sometimes we think that maybe just using God's name like a curse word, like, oh, my, and using God's name would only be fit the category of God's name in vain. Or using God's name in conjunction with curse words would be using God's name in vain. That would definitely be the case. Those would definitely be blasphemy. But when we flippantly say, I swear to and use God's name flippantly, James says, oh, no, 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 we don't do stuff like that. So now if I say I'm making a commitment to God for the rest of my life that if the church doors are open, I'm going to be there unless I am providentially hindered and I make that commitment in the name of the Lord. That's that's an outstanding oath to swear before God. I'm going to be faithful to church until the day that I die. But please don't take an oath like that flippantly. Don't just say it to be saying it. You better think through that because if you're making a vow before God, God hears that vow and he takes it seriously. When we think of vows that we make before God, sometimes we say, dearly beloved, thank you for gathering here in the presence of God and these witnesses to witness these, what's the word, vows between this husband and his wife. And for me, I got I got some speech that I prepared when I was really in the zone that says something like, There's no greater vow and commitment that we can make known to man than that between a husband and his wife, right? Is it wrong for these people to make an oath, a commitment in the name of God to one another? No, no, no. That's God's design. But it shouldn't be done flippantly. Like, hey, I like you, you like me, let's give this thing a shot. And we'll be joined together in a vow between us before God, and we'll give it our best shot. no, 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 no it's entered to, in, into with much holiness, with much consecration, because it's a vow that you make before God. That's why, as long as I'm the pastor here, we don't do the weddings where you, you play some really cool song and people put on their sunglasses and their Chuck Taylors and they dance down the aisle and stuff like that, and then we bring in the, the, the bride and we throw her up and everybody catches her and she does her little dance move and stuff like, ah. no no, 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 no. This is a holy vow before God. You get that? Like, like here's the thing. I'm so hardcore that people are like, oh, can we play our favorite Garth Brooks song? No. Absolutely not. You want to play, like, canon and D? I'll, I'll allow that, you know? But, like, this is a holy, special moment. This You're making a lifelong oath and vow before God. We're not going to do it flippantly. Now, again, does somebody have to go out and spend... on a dress. Please don't do that. Uh, Again, the the last wedding that I officiated, we officiated in the the atrium. There was a couple getting married, and me and my wife were there. And it was one of the most beautiful moments (laughs) that I've ever had the opportunity to experience. Why? Because you had two people who love Jesus and love one another making a lifetime vow, commitment, oath, in the name of the Lord. So again, things like that, 100% permissible. But we, this is exactly what James is saying. We should not need to swear to ensure our truthfulness. I shouldn't have to say, oh, I swear I'm going to do that. I should just be able to say, I'm going to do that. Now, the problem comes when I'm not a person of integrity. The problem comes when I've told you before I'm going to do something and I don't actually follow through with it. That I tell you that I'm going to keep my commitment, but I don't actually keep my commitment. I tell you, hey, I'm going to be there at 5 o'clock, but I actually show up at like 5.30. Like not once, like every time. Have you ever met those people before It's just like, hmm, they told you they'd be here at 6? Yeah, good luck with that. They'd be lucky if they even make it. If they do, it would be like closer to 7, definitely not 6. What happened? Somebody's not a person of integrity, right? So now that person to say, oh, no, 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 I'm really going to be there at 6 o'clock has to do what? I swear on my mother's grave I'll be there at 6 o'clock. Oh, whoa, 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 time out. You can't do that. You can't swear on something that, first of all, doesn't belong to you. And if you're swearing, you better be swearing based on a solemn oath before God. And so, James says, hey, if you've got to say something, just let your yes mean yes. And let your no mean no. You don't have to swear anything. Again, one of the uh, privileges, I guess you could say, of riding the public school bus to school every single day is you learn people swear by anything even when they're lying through their teeth, right? But the Bible says if you're telling the truth, you shouldn't need to swear. If you're a person of integrity and you keep your word then your yes is just yes. I grew up in small town Kentucky. Like My dad owned a, a body shop. Very rarely did I ever see anybody sign any type of contracts or anything like that. It was just like, hey, can you get it done? Yeah, I'll get it done. All right, all right. And somebody starts up their pickup truck and drives off, you know. Why? We, we didn't need a contract. Why? You said you were going to do it, so you're going to do it. You said you're gonna pay for the job, you're gonna pay for the job. And then we get a little bit more advanced in things and you realize people don't always pay when they say they're gonna pay. And so now I need to draw up a contract and have you agree to what you're gonna do. And then we gotta get, you know, contracts and agreements and things along those lines. Why? Because somewhere along the line, somebody just didn't keep their word. James says, Be a person of your word. You should just be able to say that you're gonna do something and it gets done. You shouldn't have to promise, you shouldn't have to swear. You should just do what you said you're going to do. Again, it's important because we don't have anything to swear by, first of all. Jesus says during the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 33, Again, you've heard it's been said of them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne nor by earth for its his footstool neither by jerusalem for the city of the great king neither shall thou swear by thy head because thou canst not make one hair white or black jesus has said you you can't swear by this or i swear by this earth evidently this was a big thing amongst the jews because one of the things that, that james had to tell the jews don't do this kind of stuff and jesus says you can't swear by jerusalem i swear by jerusalem Jerusalem doesn't belong to you. You can't swear by that. I swear by the earth. The earth doesn't belong to you. Okay, I swear by the hair on my head. Bro, you couldn't make one hair on your head white or black. You don't even control the hair on your head. You don't have anything to swear by. Just be a person of your word. A person of integrity should be able to give their word without further assurance what James is saying here. Just be a person of your word. When you say yes, just get it done. If you say no, then no means no. We shouldn't need to handshake. We shouldn't need to sign contracts. We shouldn't need to sign promissory notes. We should just say, I'm going to do it. And that'd be that. Again, the quote here that James uses is a quote from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 37. The letter communication be yay, yay, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Get that. Jesus, Matthew five thirty seven. If you have to say more than, yes, I will do it, then you're committing a sin. Now again, the only people who have to swear or promise or say, things will really be different this time, are only people who haven't kept their word in the past. So be a person of integrity. And again, Here's, here's the, the beautiful thing for you that have not been a person of integrity up to now. Where you've you broken trust, you've lied. You can say, hey, by the grace of God, I don't want to be that man anymore. I don't want to be that woman anymore. I want to say what's true. And I'm going to ask you, I haven't had a track record in the past of being faithful, but I'm asking you to give me some grace because going forward, I'm not going to need to swear, make any promises. You're going to see a change in my life because I belong to Jesus. And just be a person of your word. A lifestyle of habitual lying and deception is indicative of one who is not saved. Again, if you are a habitual, chronic liar, compulsive deceiver, I question. Now, again, I don't have the right to judge. But I question whether or not you are truly saved. And you say, oh, come on. Somebody who lies, you're going to question whether or not they're saved? Oh, friend, in your Bible here, turn to the right to the book of, of the Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Turn that right quick. I'm going to take a look at two more verses and we're done. This is one of them. Revelation 28. Revelation chapter 21, verse number 8. So get this, Revelation 21, 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part and the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I don't know about you, but it sounds like God takes honesty pretty seriously. That if you live a lifestyle of habitual lying, maybe there's an indication that you're possibly not saved. Because Christians don't act like that. Why? Remember, we have a new heart. We have a changed nature. But if your life, in your nature, you're still, Revelation 21.8, you're still fearful, you still don't believe, you have no faith, again, that's obvious that you're not saved, you do things that repulse God, abominable, you kill people, you're a whoremonger, you have sexual sin, sorcerers, witchcraft idolaters, we talked about that this morning from the book of Romans chapter 1, and all liars, these are people who their lifestyle points to the fact that obviously they have not been made a new creature in Christ because all of these characteristics are characteristics of a person who is not saved. And because this person is not saved, when they die, they go to the lake of fire and brimstone. This is the second death. So I don't know about you, but when it sounds like God says we live lives of truthfulness and honesty and uprightness, it sounds like he takes it pretty seriously. Again, when you put lying on the same level as whoredom, when you put lying on the same level as witchcraft and sorcery, you're putting lying on the same level as murderers, God doesn't wink at sin. So if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, and you're a habitual liar, compulsive deceiver, friend, you better check the depths of your soul and make sure, first of all, that you're saved. And if you are, you need to repent of your wickedness and sin because your fruit of your life stinks to high heaven so much that God himself would question your salvation. That's how big of a deal this is to God. So again, having the capability to say, I will do it, and everybody just knows that you're going to do it because you're a person of your word, that's a characteristic of a Christian. One who doesn't have to have a handshake. One who doesn't have to say, I swear on my mother's grave. One who doesn't need to blaspheme God's name by saying, I swear to and swearing on the name of God the Father. Just a person who is a person of integrity. And then the final thought, if we do make vows before God, you better make sure that you can fulfill it. You make a a commitment to God, you better keep it. Last scripture, we'll take a look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Turn back there if you would. Back in the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse number 4. Ecclesiastes 5, 4. When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than thou shouldst vow and not pay. God's saying like, "Hold, hold up. If you're gonna make a commitment before me, you better make sure that it's the real deal because you need to have the follow through behind it. Again, I think it would be a great thing for Christians to say, I vow before God that when the church doors are open, I'm gonna be there unless I'm providentially hindered in some way or another. God's house is that big of a deal to us. Angela and I made that commitment to God over 20 years ago. It was a legit vow before God. I'm telling you this, we've kept it. I intend to keep it for the rest of my life. Because I made that vow to God, when our family goes on vacation, I look for a Bible-preaching church in the city that we're in so that we can go and be in God's house. We don't just say like, oh, we're on vacation, so we'll catch something online. No, no, no. We didn't make a commitment to watching church services on the internet. We made a commitment to be in God's house with God's people. So we're keeping our vow. You made a commitment to, before God to keep yourself for another person and that person only as long as you both shall live. You better keep that vow. It had been better off if you just not make the vow at all. And you say, well, maybe I shouldn't have made the vow. Too late. You already made it. You're stuck. Seriously. Because God takes those vows seriously. Again, you, you make a vow. Angela and I made a vow before God. Probably 21 years ago. God, whatever you tell us to do, we will do it 100% of the time. It was a commitment before God. And by the grace of God, it has been ridiculously difficult at times, but by the grace of God, we've kept that vow. And we'll continue to keep that vow until the day that we, li- we die. Because there's a commitment before the Lord. Now, vows before God are those good for sure. Oaths and swearing amongst other people to prove that you really are telling the truth, James says, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh uh-uh. nope. You're gonna be a person of integrity. Whatever you say, you're gonna do it. Again, I grew up in a small town in Kentucky. My dad told me, son, your name means something. To, to be a king boy meant something. I got boys myself. I always tell them. When I I was dropping them off at a a birthday party, dropping them off at a church event, I always remind them. And my boys to this day can tell you the speech before they get out the car. Son, don't forget you're a child of the king. You're a Christian. Act like it. Son, don't forget that you are a king. You better act like it. Right? Why? Because we built our life in the fact that our name has integrity. Your name means something. Your word means something. Tell someone you're going to do it, do it. It's what James says. But I want to encourage you tonight. Okay, I'll stop making vows before God or trying to prove that I really mean what I say. I would encourage you with this tonight. Are there some vows that you need to make before God? Maybe you need to to vow before God to give up a certain sin. Got to make a commitment before you today that I'm going to lay down this sin. I'm never going to pick it up again. That would be a good thing. (laughs) Hey, how about this? God, to prove that I'm never going to pick this sin up again, I'm going to go home and shave my head tonight. That would be awesome. Like, hey, why are you bald? I made a commitment before God. Awesome. It'd be even better if ladies did that. That would be totally awesome. (laughs) Guys, it's just like, oh, you got a cool new haircut. That's okay. It'll grow back in a couple of days. Uh, Ladies, like, with my vow before God. Okay, let me just say, that was a joke, Okay. (laughs) Because next week somebody's going to come in with their head shaved. And they're going to be like, "What kind of cult are you running there?" Like, <laughs> women shaving. Like, there's 12 ladies in the congregation that shave their head. It's just like, ah, that was bad. So, I want to preface and say that was a joke. Okay, don't go home and shave your head. But it would be good. To, here's the thing. A serious talk. It would be a good thing for you to make commitments before God that God asks you to. Again, Christianity doesn't mean I got my ticket punched to heaven and like, woohoo, I'm free. No, no, no. Now it means. I got my ticket punched to heaven, but now I belong to Jesus. Whatever he tells me to do, I'm just going to do it. So maybe there's some areas in your life you need to do that. Most important thing in the world for here tonight, you don't know for sure that you're saved. You never had that experience where you've been born again or saved. You don't know for sure that you had that life change. Jesus died for your sins to do things that you could not do, which was forgive your sins. And all you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died for your sins. And you have to be willing to turn from your sin to turn to Jesus. And friend, if you would do that today, you could be born again. You can be saved. You'll get that new heart and your whole life will change. if you've never done that, make tonight that night. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast.